Amen. Would you pray with me one more time? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We pray that you would use, uh, use your word to help our hearts to love him today. And especially to be thankful that he offers those of us who trust in him true rest. We pray that you would be glorified in our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. Summer is coming up. All the kids said yeah. And uh, so, as you know, um, summer is often looked forward to for children, but especially families, as it's a time of rest. Rest from a long year of school, a work break that provides much-needed rest for adults. And I remember one summer, my parents decided to take us on a summer vacation to the beach. My parents did their due diligence. They looked hard at a great hotel in the Florida Keys, and they had scoped out this, this one that was basically what we thought the equivalent of sandals on a budget. And so uh, we were hoping that these great amenities and this great room would all help us to do what we uh, longed for, which was to find some rest on our vacation. We desired and we wanted to find rest on our vacation. But when we got there, we quickly came to find out that the pictures and reviews that we had seen online were a lie. We realized that the room was nowhere near the size that it seemed to be online. They must have used one of those wide-angle lenses or something. And we also figured out that one of the amenities that was offered was a roach infestation. And so we did not desire to take part in that amenity, but we had no choice. And so our trip turned out quite different than we had expected. Rest had escaped us. And maybe you're here today, and you're longing for, for rest. You're looking for a relationship, potentially, that will give you rest. Maybe you've been trying to find rest in everyone or everything around you, and you cannot help but feel empty. It seems that rest is so hard to find in our world today, and so easy to lose. So where can we go to find true rest? Rest that lasts. I think our passage today answers that question. We're going to be in the book of Ruth, chapter 3 today. And I think that the main thing that Ruth 3 teaches us is that the only way to find true rest is in the true Redeemer. The only way to find true rest is in the true Redeemer. And we'll see our text broken down into three parts First, in verses 1 to 5 of Ruth 3, we'll see a providential plan. A providential plan in verses 1 to 5. Then in verses 6 to 13, we'll see a promise of redemption. A promise of redemption in verses 6 to 13. And finally, in verses 14 to 18, we will see a pledge of the Redeemer. A pledge of the Redeemer. So again, that was a providential plan, verses 1 to 5. A promise of redemption, verses 6 to 13, and a pledge of the Redeemer, verses 14 to 18. Brothers and sisters, I pray today that if you are in Christ, you will leave here today at peace. 
knowing that Christ gives you rest. And so right before we jump into Ruth chapter 3, let's take a brief moment to remember what's been happening in the book of Ruth up until now. So up to this point, we've seen that Naomi and Ruth are living in a time when lawlessness abounds. People are doing whatever they want in the time of the judges. And Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth are both widows after they've lost their husbands. And so, these two widows, Naomi and this Moabite, this foreigner, Ruth, go back to Israel alone. Ruth, though, an outsider, banks her life on finding refuge in the God of Israel. And in Ruth chapter 2, we see that Ruth is introduced to the character of Boaz. Ruth, Ruth finds favor in the eyes of Boaz. Boaz is one of her relatives who has the potential to redeem her. In this context, a redeemer was a relative who would marry a woman that had been widowed, and she w- he would provide her with security and rest and comfort and hopefully children. And so Ruth is desperately in need of redemption after the death of her husband, Malon. In chapter 2, we saw that Boaz gave Ruth and Naomi physical protection and physical provision by allowing them to get spare grain from after the harvest of the, the barley and wheat seasons. But she is still in need of someone to give her redemption that will last a lifetime. And so chapter 2 of Ruth ends in verse 23 with these words, So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with Ruth, or sorry, with, uh, she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth is still in need of redemption. She's still in need of a lifetime of help. And so now let's read Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. 
So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Amen. So now let's consider our first point, a providential plan from verses 1 to 5. Ruth chapter 3 is a spicy chapter. There are lots of seemingly sketchy things that happen in this chapter. And our minds can be tempted to think that this chapter is just some strange love story and that we're not really sure what to do with it and we can miss getting God's word to us. And so we know that this is God's holy and inspired word. And we need this word for our lives today. And so in order for us to see what the main point of this passage is, I want to remind us all of a rule for when we're reading stories in the Bible. That is, when we read stories or narrative text in Scripture. We need to remember to distinguish between what is being prescribed and what is being described. Something prescribed is something that's commanded. Something described is just the author telling us what has happened, not necessarily commending us to do that or commanding us to do that. And so there's a key difference between what these two are saying in the Bible. So our text for today is going to have a lot of descriptions about what Ruth did. And I don't think that we should take away from this text that we should all be like Ruth and that we should go out alone in the middle of the night to someone's threshing floor. That's not the main point of this text, okay? So you can rest a little bit easier that that's not what I'm going to say. Um, God's Word says something different. And so uh, we're going to see the purpose, though, for, for this, this whole thing that happens in Ruth chapter 3 in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 3. Verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi greatly desires rest for Ruth. Rest. And this is the same type of rest that Naomi prayed for Ruth to find in the house of a redeeming husband back in Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. There, Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah after the death of their husbands, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of of her husband. And so Naomi previously prayed for Ruth to find rest, and now she sees a risky but potentially rewarding plan for rest. And this is the purpose for this strange and risky and risque plan, okay? So at this point, uh, though, it would be important for us to understand what rest is. What is this rest Ruth is seeking after? And in Ruth 3, rest has the meaning of security and stability and peace, and satisfaction, and joy. But in order for Ruth to find rest, she has to find a person who has the power to provide the rest that she desperately longs for. And the only person who has the power to give her this rest 
is a redeemer. And one of her potential redeemers is Boaz. The book of Leviticus in chapter 25 explains that a male a redeemer was a male family member who would purchase out of bondage a family member, a woman who had been widowed. He would provide her with safety and comfort and security. And so Naomi desperately desires for Ruth to find this type of rest. And so in verses 2 to 4, Naomi lays out a detailed plan for what Ruth should do. And again, at this point, we're going to pause. Remember our rule that what is being uh, described is not being prescribed. This is not prescriptive. I don't think you should go out and try this plan. So let's read in verses 2 to 4 again. Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So Boaz is a relative of Ruth, as we've already seen. He's a worthy man who has the power to redeem Ruth. And Naomi knows he's going to be at what's called a threshing floor. And so at this point, it's good for us to pause because I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone who owns a threshing floor uh, or has ever been to one. Um, And so at this time in Old Testament Israel, remember in Ruth chapter 2, we saw that we're at the end of the wheat and barley harvest. And so what people would do at this point in time in in Old Testament Israel was to do uh, practice the practice called winnowing. To winnow was to get something similar to a pitchfork and they would get the barley that was just harvested and they'd get a pitchfork and they'd pitch the, the barley and they'd toss it up in the air and this would separate the chaff, which was the inedible part, from the good part of the barley. So the chaff would kind of float away and then the barley would land, on, the good part would land on the floor. And that the floor was a threshing floor. And so this threshing floor was often a place on a hilltop uh, because you didn't want dirt to be on it and it often had a hard surface so that you would be able to, to winnow well. And so Boaz would have been working at a threshing floor all day and then at night he would remain at the threshing floor to protect his, his harvest from those who would try to steal. And so that's why Naomi is able to confidently expect that Boaz is going to be at the threshing floor at night. He's guarding his, his harvest from thieves. And so Ruth, or sorry, Naomi tells Ruth to get ready. But then in verse 3, Naomi gives Ruth specific instructions for exactly for the things she is to do. Notice the thing. She is to wash and to anoint and to put on. And I believe that Naomi tells Ruth these things, not just as a way to say, okay, girl, you got to look good for Boaz. You know, I, I don't think that's what it's saying. I think there's actually something deeper that's going on here. She's telling Ruth to, in essence, say to Boaz, I'm ready for marriage. That her time of mourning for her deceased husband is over. And now she's ready to be redeemed. The reason I believe that is because in these same three actions are found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. And David does these things to signify the end of a time of mourning for his deceased son. He signals to his contemporaries that his mourning is over. 
And similarly, in Ruth chapter 3, verse 3, I think Naomi is telling Ruth to wash, to anoint, and to put on, so that she is no longer in a time of mourning for her husband. And this interpretation also helps to explain why we have not seen Boaz pursue Ruth for marriage yet. Boaz has displayed incredible kindness to Ruth. He's given her so much more than he needed to for provision. But if Ruth was signifying to everyone that she was still in a time of mourning by the clothes she was wearing, Boaz's hands were tied behind his back. He couldn't do anything. She wasn't ready. And so Naomi says, Okay, Ruth, it's time. Wash, anoint, and put on, showing you're ready for redemption. And so now, though, let's just take a step back and see what exactly this plan entails. Okay, so Naomi's plan, if you're Ruth in this, in this moment, you're hearing these things Naomi's saying, you're thinking, okay, Naomi, so let me get this straight. Boaz is going to be out late, alone, and you want me, I'm a Moabite, I'm a foreigner, to go by myself after washing myself and smelling good, putting on some perfume. You want me to go to a secluded part of town with nobody else around. There's no street lights or no security cameras. To a threshing floor with just one man who's been drinking. And then you want me to take the covers off of his feet until he gets cold and wakes up At which point, I am to ask this man, who's just woken up, if he wants to marry me. That's your plan. Naomi's like, yep, that's it. And so, if you're like me at this point, just reflecting on this, that doesn't sound like the best or even the wisest plan. I mean, I certainly wouldn't commend that plan to anyone I know. And so, I think that this just points us to this plan was incredibly risky. Think about all the risks that were, of, that were there. There was the risk of humiliation. Ruth could have easily been assaulted on her way to the threshing floor or at the threshing floor. A young foreigner who was out late with no protection. She could have been seen going to the threshing floor and assumed that she was a, a prostitute. This would have ruined her reputation in the, in the land of Israel. Or she could have been rejected. She was, after all, a young Moabite woman asking an older Israelite man to marry her. This is unusual even in our times, but how much more so in Old Testament Israel? So there were, this is only a little bit of the risks involved, uh, involved with this plan. So what's happening here? Why is Naomi telling Ruth to do this? And why is Ruth willing? The reason that Ruth risked Everything was to find redemption in the Redeemer. She was willing to execute this risky plan because she desperately needed some rest. The harvest season was ending and these ladies had no promise of future provision. This was a matter of life and death. And similarly today, it's often risky to find rest in our Redeemer Jesus. Some of you have faced extremely risky circumstances in order to find rest and redemption at the feet of Jesus. 
Maybe it's the family relationships that you had to lose for following Jesus. Or the friendships you had to forsake in order to be faithful to Christ. Or maybe it means not compromising at your job in order to remain committed to Christ. But whatever it is, we too must respond with Ruth, all that you say I will do. I'll give it all to find rest in Christ. And friends, it's all worth it. Because nothing can provide the rest that Jesus gives. Nobody can provide the security of eternally resting from the penalty of sin and death like Jesus. Nobody can provide the stability that comes from banking your life on the sure and unchanging word of God. Nobody can give you the joy that comes and results from knowing Christ as Lord. Joy that's incomparable with anyone or anything else. As Augustine once rightly proclaimed, our souls are restless until they find their rest in Him. Our souls will always be restless until we find our rest in Jesus. And so if you're here and you would not call yourself a Christian, friend, I would like to ask you where you go to for rest. Where do you go to for security and for stability and for joy? The Bible teaches that you're unable to find rest apart from Christ. You cannot experience the soul rest that you desperately desire apart from Him. And so maybe you're here today and for the first time, you'd like to experience the rest that's only given by Jesus, the better Redeemer. To do that, you must know that God is a holy God and that He cannot tolerate sin. And you and I and all of mankind have rejected Him. We have all sinned against Him. But the only chance of soul rest that we have is that through the work of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, we, because He came down to the earth and lived a perfect life that you and I should have lived and was unjustly put to death, and because He rose from the dead, He defeated death, that those who trust in Him can now have that same reality for themselves. They can have rest. They can not fear death anymore because they can find rest in Him. So you must trust in His sacrifice. You must believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. That's the only way to find soul rest. But maybe you're here and you're thinking about following Jesus. But you're thinking about the risks involved. Maybe it's the risk of humiliation. You're worried what others will think about you if you become a Christian. How would your friends respond if they saw you going to church or reading the Bible? Or maybe you're terrified of rejection. You think that you've done too many bad things, that you're too flawed, that you're too messed up, and then if you go to Jesus, if you go to His feet, He's going to turn you down. Friend, let me tell you what Jesus says to you today. Come to me. Jesus says to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. That's the only way to find the rest that you long for. The humiliation that you may experience is nothing compared to the joy that you get in knowing Jesus. 
And he will never reject those who honestly come to him, no matter how messed up you are. And so respond like Ruth and say, all that you say, I will do, no matter the risks. And so if today is the first time you've trusted in Jesus, please, I would encourage you to talk to any of the pastors at the doors at the close of service or any member of NCBC around you. We would be delighted to talk more about that decision with you. And so in verses 1 to 5 of Ruth chapter 3, we see a providential plan. And now in verses 6 to 13, we're going to see the promise of redemption. The promise of redemption. So look with me in verses 6 to 13. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And so some of us might have read these verses and we might have cringed a little bit. Uh, And I would like to acknowledge that there is some ambiguous language in these, these verses. This whole scene seems strange in in many ways. But again, as we read the Bible, let's remember to not read more into the text than we ought to. And let's strive to to see what the, the main point of these verses is so that we can see why they're here. And so throughout this whole exchange, I think that we're going to see that Ruth and Boaz, uh, it's been building up to this point throughout the the previous chapters of the book, and it's going to continue in that way, that Ruth and Boaz are worthy people. And I would encourage us to see that this threshing floor scene is is not a a scene that involves sexual promiscuity, but instead sexual purity. And so even though the text is ambiguous, it's clear that Boaz, again, and Ruth are are worthy people. So in verse 6, Ruth goes and does all that Naomi told her to do. And in verse 7, the narrator introduces us to Boaz. So Boaz, again, has had a long day's work. Maybe he's now had a he's gotten some falafel and had some wine, and he's going to he's now chilling out after a long day, and then it's Ruth's time to shine. She goes and does just as she planned to do. She takes off the corner of his blanket and uncovers his feet, and then she patiently waits for him to wake up. Let's read verse eight again because I think it's it's helpful for us to examine this a little bit more. Verse eight says, "At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold." A woman lay at his feet. This is an awkward verse. But I think that Old Testament scholar Daniel Block provides another translation of this verse that helps us to paint the picture and for us to see what's going on. Block translates this verse, verse 8, as, Now in the middle of the night, the man shivered, and he groped around, and surprise, a woman was lying at the place of his feet. And so I think that this translation sheds light on what's happening. 
Boaz is feeling the no cover sensation. You know the feeling when you wake up in the middle of the night and somehow your covers have somehow magically uh, come off your feet and now your toes are like little ice cubes? You do everything you can to get those things covered as quick as possible, right? It's, it's freezing. And you wake up in a, in a panic, like, ah, what's happening? That's what happens to Boaz here. That's, that's, I think, Naomi's plan. And he wakes up, and so as he's groping around for some covers to put back on his feet, he sees a woman, and he says, Who are you? What are you doing here? He wasn't expecting any company. He's alone at the threshing floor. And so Ruth answers then in a profound way. She says that Bo, she, she is Boaz's servant, and that she wants him to redeem her. She wants him to spread his wings over her, for he is a redeemer. And this is basically her way of proposing to him. Boaz's response is equally as shocking. After he just wakes up from the dead of sleep, he's blown away by her request. And he says that this kindness that she has shown to him now is greater than the first kindness that she showed to Naomi by sticking with her through thick and thin. And then he proceeds to call her a worthy woman. This phrase, worthy woman, is used in the Hebrew Bible a total of three times. One, here in Ruth chapter 3, and the other two occurrences are in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. The, the first one in Proverbs is Proverbs 12.4, and the other place it occurs is in Proverbs chapter 31 when talking about the excellent wife. Proverbs 31.10, that, that phrase for worthy woman is seen. And so although Ruth is not Boaz's wife, this reveals to us the character of Ruth. This is showing us Ruth's character. She's the type of woman that Proverbs 31 speaks about. She's a godly woman, a woman of high integrity. And notice that Ruth, Ruth is referred to as a worthy woman after her request. So again, I think this is pointing us to the interpretation that nothing sexually explicit has happened to her to here, that she is a worthy woman after he wakes. And so next, notice the, the language that Ruth uses when asking Boaz to marry her. She asks Boaz to spread his wings over her. We already heard this language in the book of Ruth in chapter 2, verse 12. There, Boaz prayed that the Lord would repay and reward Ruth because she sought refuge in the Lord. And now in Ruth chapter 3, verse 9, Ruth is asking Boaz to show God's love to her in the flesh. In the flesh. She's asking for Boaz to embody God's love to her. But Boaz says that there's a little hiccup in the request. There's another redeemer who is also able to redeem Ruth and is nearer than Boaz. You see, in Leviticus 25, verse 25, instructions were given in regard to a redeemer. There was an obligation to redeem the, the widow on the part of the nearest relative. The nearest relative. And in Ruth 3, it appears that there's a redeemer who's closer to Ruth than Boaz. This redeemer, in a sense, has first dibs on if he wants to redeem Ruth or not. If, there, if he does, Boaz can do nothing. That's what God's word says. And so we're going to see later in chapter 4 how this situation works out. And just a little hint, it does end up being Boaz. But it's important for us to pause and think about this a little bit deeper. Because it seems that Boaz did not necessarily have to redeem Ruth. There were other men who were closer, who were more obligated to redeem Ruth. 
And so when Ruth asked Boaz to marry him, he could have easily and legally said no. This shows us that Boaz demonstrated God's love to Ruth. Not just by following the letter of the law, what was explicitly spelled out, but by following the spirit of the law, the heart of the law. Boaz demonstrated what's called God's hesed love. God's hesed love. God's hesed love is his loyal love, his covenantal love. And this is the type of love that Ruth has shown to Naomi by sticking with her, and this is the type of love that Boaz is going to show to, or Ruth is asking Boaz to show to her. And so, again, Daniel Block comments on these verses that genuinely godly people do not need laws to do the right thing. Love for God and love for others is demonstrated in action in the other person's interest. Sometimes in our lives, we're presented with situations that are not explicitly commanded in Scripture. But our posture as people who love God is to show God's hesed love to others sometimes in ways that may not be explicitly written down. And so this week, take some time to evaluate your posture when you show love to others. We should have the, as Christians, should have the the posture to love and to build others up. But if your posture is simply to do the bare minimum, that might be a sign that you need to reflect more on the love that you've been shown in Christ. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Father sent his son for us. And so let's reflect that loyal love to others in our church body this week. So let me give you an example of what this could potentially look like. This isn't as serious as being redeemed from someone in Ruth's situation, in Ruth chapter 3. But this comes from my life. So a simple example. When we were moving up to Rockville, Maryland, to to come to NCBC, we had to move very quickly. And if you've ever moved before, you know that one of the biggest pains about moving is the actual moving. There are a lot of heavy things involved with moving. It's very hard, and it takes a long time, and it's a whole big process, right? And so at, at the time we were moving, Mandy was pregnant, and so uh, I wasn't sure how I was going to literally lift everything from our apartment uh, to, to our new place up here in, in Rockville. And so we prayed for, for help, and the Lord answered that prayer through so many of you all, through members of NCBC who came and helped us move in. We had that, uh, our moving truck unloaded faster than a moving crew. I really think it was amazing to watch. There was like a director, I think Andy was directing or something, and it was, it was wild. It was, it was amazing to see. And so I say this this example because it represents the way that we can all serve each other simply and ordinarily in life. And this shows God's love to each other. This helps to embody God's love to our church. And so ask yourself this week, self, is there anyone I can show God's love to this week? Maybe it's somebody who prays for financial provision and you've got a little bit of of extra and you can give them some finances to be able to help them out of a tough situation, to show them that the Lord provides. Or maybe there's someone that is in need of a friend. How can you befriend that person who is lonely, showing them that they have a community, they've been brought into a family of God? So this week, look at the talents, the skills, the power and the influence that God has given to you And think through how you might be the answer to someone else's prayers. How you might serve the body by embodying God's love 
to them. And so Ruth asks Boaz to display God's love to her in the flesh. And Boaz is delighted by this request. Boaz promises to Ruth that if the other redeemer won't redeem her, then he certainly will. And so in a similar way today, that those of us who have trusted in Christ have been promised redemption by the better Boaz, Jesus Christ. There's no other redeemer that has the power to redeem us. We can only look to Jesus. And those of us who have trusted in Christ have been promised rest by Him. Jesus promises that all who come to Him, who are weary and heavy laden, will find rest. He didn't say to look at your nice bank account. If you've got one of those, that must be nice. But don't look at that for rest. He didn't say to look to a relationship or what other people think about you. He said, come to me. Don't go anywhere else to find rest. And so if you're here and you're struggling to find rest, ask yourself what you are seeking rest in apart from Christ. What are you seeking rest in apart from Christ? I'm not saying that it's bad to have a big bank account or have a boyfriend or girlfriend or have good relationships or whatever it may be, but those things were never designed to provide you true rest. That rest that can only be found in Jesus. And so after Boaz promises Ruth rest, he tells Ruth to remain the night with him and to to depart early the next morning. This was likely for Ruth's protection as she wouldn't have to wander through the fields late at night again. Instead, Boaz would protect her for the night and she would go back to Naomi in the morning. But this would be before one could recognize another or in in the cover of night, basically, so they couldn't see each other. It was still dark outside. It's early in the morning so that their reputations aren't tainted. And we see in verses 14 to 18, point number three, the pledge of a redeemer. So read with me verses 14 to 18. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So Ruth stays with Boaz until the morning. And she leaves very early, again, probably before the sun has even come up, and, he, uh, and so then she goes home to Naomi. And Naomi is eagerly awaiting the arrival of Ruth. How was it? What happened? What did he say? And Ruth comes and she's got this six measures of barley. We don't know exactly what the, the measures are, but it was probably what's called an omer. And just to sum up, she basically had about 18 to 30 pounds of barley that she was carrying back with her. And the purpose of this this barley was it was a pledge to Naomi and to Ruth that Boaz had weight to his intentions to redeem. This wasn't just something he said flippantly. He actually meant to redeem. And so Ruth chapter 3 ends with the pledge of redemption. And those of us who have trusted in Christ today live in a similar place as the end of Ruth chapter 3. We live in a time where we know that redemption is coming, that we've been promised 
redemption, but we long to enter that final rest. We long to be redeemed. We have received the pledge of redemption in the form of the Holy Spirit. We have been given an engagement ring that assures us that we will be redeemed. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14 says that the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And so that day is coming soon when we will no longer long for rest, but we will be with Christ forever. But until that day, we live in a world that's filled with unrest. We see unrest every day. There is political unrest, wars, violence, illness, anxiety, depression, and it's so rare to find rest. But when you see all these forms of unrest, let them point you to the only one who provides true rest, Jesus. So go to him and seek him. And remember that one day soon you will be brought into that heavenly rest, as Hebrews 4 encourages us to strive until we enter that final heavenly rest, where sin will be no more and we'll be with at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You might feel exhausted as another week is about to begin. Another Monday is coming. But remember that rest isn't truly found in a vacation or in a new job or in the perfect family. Soul rest is only found in Jesus. And remember that if you're in Christ, you will be, enter into that heavenly rest one day soon. And until that day, do as Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Believe his promises that he will give you rest today. And one day soon, he'll bring you into that heavenly rest with him, where you will no longer have any tiredness or any groans anymore. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rest that can only be found in Jesus. We pray that you would help us to press into that rest, to go to him, to come to him, that you might give us soul rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.